Good morning, Boker Tov. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. I thank Ellie again for this amazing opportunity to host his show and look forward to hearing him back in his usual spot next week. Whether you're listening at home, on your computer at work, or just settling into your day at the office, we appreciate you listening and making us a part of your day. As always, you can find previously aired programs by clicking on the Jewish Reaction banner found on NachumSiegel.com. And if you have a smartphone, you can listen to the show by downloading the NSN app. That's Nachum Siegel Network. For iPhones, you can easily find it at iTunes, and Android users can head over to Google Play to download this great app. The Nachum Siegel Network is always streaming live, so be sure to listen to the smorgasbord of programs airing 24-6. <laughs> Today we have on the show Rabbi Elif, who is the Orthodox Union's Kashrus Rabbinic Coordinator, to discuss every Jewish woman's favorite time of the year, Pesach. Rabbi Elif will be sharing with us some of the exciting updates for this year as we prepare for Pesach. Rabbi Elif, welcome to the Jewish Reaction. Thank you for having me. So so good to have you here. You know, I have in front of me the 2015 OU Guide to Passover, um, for which you're a part of. Uh, it looks amazing and will undoubtedly be a tremendous resource to Jews across the globe as they prepare for Pesach, which, as crazy as it might be, is only 10 days away. Um, and as crazy as it may be, a few other people, it's probably even crazier here in our office. Uh, right now, we've got the phones ringing off the hook. We've got several full-time staff members, Rob Bottom assistants, answering emails, tweets, Facebook posts, and as well as emails that are coming in. Did I mention the hotline? And there's the hotline. <laughs> Off the hook, right? Off the hook. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we have for the week before Pesach, so that'll be next week, we have scheduled three people at any given time to be operating the hotline. Um, we provide this as a service to community where um, we know that a lot of people have shyless that come up, and we're here to help them address those shyless, whatever they may be. What are some of the typical questions that come in? Is there a standard question? And you know, maybe my, my next question will be is, like, what are some of the out there questions that maybe are more atypical. So there's no such thing as a standard question. Really, it depends on each person's individual circumstances as well as the situation that they find themselves in. Um, obviously, the closer we get to Pesach, the more interesting the questions become. A lot of questions that we get are just simple confirmation that products are actually certified. They see an OUP, which stands for OU Passover, not to be confused with PARV, <laughs> on the product. And they want to make sure that it is indeed certified for Pesach and there isn't an issue with that. A lot of times we'll get questions about other products such as, it doesn't bear Passover certification, but can I use it as well? Or we'll even get questions about, I saved over my leftover spices from last year's Pesach together with my Pesach dishes. Can I again use it this year? So those are a lot of the standard questions that we get. We'll get other questions as well. People want to know they're busy capturing their oven for Pesach. How do they do that? Um... There's a whole plethora of questions and concerns that come about, and people really turn to the OU as either their first or last line of defense, depending on which way you look at it. Right, and the OU has always been a staple for such. Do you have a, maybe a favorite question that has come in that's, that is maybe a little bit out there? So I didn't actually dig up some of my old emails. Um, <laughs> I should have done that before, but I didn't. Uh, there always are some interesting ones that come in. I actually one year answered the hotline. Uh, on Arab Pesach itself, which is one of the services that we provide. We actually have our hotline open this year and every year at Pesach from between the hours of 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. So, again, if people mm-hmm. have questions, they can feel free to give us a call. Again, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Arab Pesach at 212-613-8241. Again, that's 212-613-8241 for our hotline. 
We also have extended hours this year where we hopefully will be open until 6 p.m. Normally we close our hotline about 5 p.m. the week before Pesach. We'll be hopefully be open most of the days until 6 p.m. As well as the Sunday before this coming up Sunday, we will also have hotline hours, uh, I believe, which will be between the hours of 10 and 12 for those who have questions. Um, I had it one year that someone called me up on Erev Pesach. It was about an hour before this man. Wow. And he has been a convert. He was a ger. He just converted recently to Judaism. And he hadn't. He just realized he didn't kosher his oven for Pesach, so he wanted to know what to do about it. And unfortunately, the type of oven he had didn't allow for libun, which would be the highest level of koshering. Otherwise, there's different levels. There's hagol, which you don't really do on an oven. There's libun kal, libun chomer, which really is the topic for itself when we're discussing koshering at a different point in time. Are these different degrees, though? These are different degrees. There's different temperatures, different mm-hmm. amount of time, different intensity of the flame of the fire. Suffice it to say, he did not have enough time to properly kosher his oven before the Zman Bir Chomet. Right. And without a self-clean apparatus on his oven, there was no way to properly kosher his oven in advance. So you invited him over to you for Shabbos. Unfortunately, I think he told me he was in Vermont. <laughs> he was in so Vermont. So it was a little hard, and he had to go to work. That was the other problem. He couldn't even stick around at that point. I was like, oh, I'm glad I got you on the phone. What do I do? I have to go to work in a half an hour. Okay, so give me the quick, you know, 29-minute solution. Right. I said, well, unless you have a blowtorch, there's really not much we can do. Because, again, if he had a self-clean oven, that would be a little bit easier to take care of the problem. But he didn't have that. He didn't have a blowtorch, and he had to go to work. Wow. Um, we've gotten all sorts of questions. People want to know how to conduct your Seder. I guess they turn to the OU as the resource oh, so for not, everything Jewish. Oh, so it's not necessarily just about products, what's kosher, what's not. People are looking for you know, an overarching way of how to approach Pesach. Our primary focus is answering questions with regards to OU kosher for Passover, really about the products, about our policies, things like that. But obviously, as people are desperate right before Pesach, even Rob Bonham are calling us up because someone has to take it. A lot of questions we get are with regards to pharmaceuticals, nutritionals, those people who are home that are sick, that require certain uh, tweaks to their diet. And we'll get those calls as well. I actually had a different situation one time when I got a call on our Pesach. It was about... 12, 12.30 on Erev Pesach. And I got a call from a chaplain of a major hospital in a major metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And he said, can you write me a letter? I said, you know, with all due respect, you know, basically we're closed except to answer questions on the hotline. Right. He said, well, I have over here a large segment of ultra-Orthodox Jews in my hospital, and they won't take any of the regular medications on Pesach. So can the OU write a letter saying that they're fine for Pesach? So I said, there's a couple things. One is we don't certify them, so I can't really take responsibility for them. I can help advise which way to go. I said, secondly, my hunch is that the clientele you're dealing with is not going to accept a letter from the OU either. <laughs> I said, you're really better off speaking to one of the uh, Hasidic Dayanam, perhaps <laughs> right. in Bar Park, Williamsburg, and if you can get something from them, that would hold a lot more sway with your patients. Wow. But people have all sorts of questions, especially last minute that come up. So we're really at the help. We've got questions from Europe. I remember answering a phone call also, let's say about 11 o'clock on Erev Pesach, and someone's calling from Europe, where it was about 6 o'clock in the afternoon in Europe, 5 o'clock, and they're about to make the Seder, and they had a last-minute question that came up. So, again, we're going scrambling, trying to find answers. We don't necessarily always have the answers, which requires additional research. Right, right. Um, but we try to help them as best as we possibly can. How does it generally work with medication? If someone is on uh, something that's been prescribed to them that they actually they have to take, it's, you know, it's life-saving or whatever it might be, um, I mean, in general, maybe not even necessarily a Pesach question, but is all medication um, need to be have a hechsher on it? 
So again, the way medication works is a big machloikas apaiskim. And again, I'm not here at the paskin for anybody right. which way to go. Really, this is in the domain of each and every person's individual rabbi to help them understand which way they should follow. Mm-hmm. However, if a person is prescribed a medication, especially for a thing that's a life-threatening illness, they should not stop taking the medication right. without first consulting both their physician and their rav to get proper guidance. Right. Obviously, there are certain medications that are a little bit less complicated. If it's something that's intravenous or swallowed, there are less halacha complications. If it's a chewable or a mm-hmm. liquid medication, those might be a little more complicated. But again, if it's something that's prescribed by a physician, persons should not stop taking them without first consulting with their physician and their rabbi together. Absolutely.
You're listening to The Jewish Reaction, presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. We're here with the Rabbi Elif, who is the one of the Orthodox Union's conscious rabbinic coordinators. We're talking about Pesach. Uh, we're just uh, about a week and a half away. So when I was growing up, and I, and I feel like there's been a shift um, over time. Um, you know, I remember as a kid, I grew up in Muncie, New York, um, technically suffering. You know, I remember... You know, my parents would assign different jobs for us. And, you know, mine somehow every year was the one who went into the bathroom and was taking down bottle by bottle, going through, looking at the ingredients, taking out, I think it was the, the Bloom, Bloomkrantz. Uh, yeah, probably Bloomkrantz. Right, like Bloomkrantz. Numerous directories that are available currently for uh, helping with your Pesach needs. Right. Um, so, I mean, this is many, I mean, this is over 20-something years ago, but... I feel like there's been somewhat over, throughout over the years, maybe even more recent, even, you know, just reading, um, you know, uh, different Jewish blogs, whatever it might be, even, I think, you know, the OU's uh, Passover guide. Um, I feel like there's been somewhat of a change of how people are approaching Pesach. In fact, um, last, uh, this isn't necessarily about uh, checking uh, for for chametz, but um, rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, who's the rabbi of the Boca Raton Jewish, um, um, the Boca Raton Synagogue in, uh, in Boca, he had a whole article last week um, in which he differentiates between Pesach and spring cleaning. He says Pesach can be done in a matter of hours, if a person, even if someone who's very diligent and clean their home. But he said if you're moving your refrigerator and you're moving furniture and you're going all over the place, he said that's spring cleaning. That's not Pesach. Pesach is about you know, to the letter of the law is, is, is looking for the chametz, and it's to a certain degree of an amount of, you know, something that a dog would eat, something that, you know, that is, you know, larger than a certain amount. So from your perspective, I mean, has there been a shift in, in the way that, you know, that Orthodox Jewry is, is approaching Pesach? I would not say that there's a shift in the way that the community is approaching Pesach. Prim- predominantly, Pesach cleaning and preparing for Pesach has been in the domain of the Yiddishimamas, of the mothers of the household, of whoever's running the household, if it's not the mother, whoever's in charge. And the custom's been passed down from generation to generation that now is the time to really scrub the walls, get down and dirty, right. and really get rid of any filth that might be there. From a hashkafic, a philosophical standpoint, there's many Moses Farm and, and Bali Machshava and Bali Hasidus that actually speak about this. And they talk about the fact that looking for chametz and getting the house rid of the chametz is in a way a physical manifestation of getting rid of our own chametz in our souls right. of any issues that we have. So people take it very seriously, especially if this is the tradition. If their mother took it seriously, they took it seriously. And I'm not one here to start telling people not to do that. And really right. it just depends on each individual family. In terms of what's required, that some people just weren't aware of and they thought it means throwing out everything including, you know, the you know, last year's newspapers that they might find in the garage. <laughs> it's about in today's day and age, we have to prioritize. Where everyone's so busy, everybody's working, everybody's in school, everyone's got things, we have to prioritize and understand what's important. If I have a question of actually coshing my stove or cleaning out the shoes, obviously the stove comes first. Right. So it's about prioritizing. Also the world has become increasingly complex. Food production has changed, the technology with it, the chemistry, 
it all has changed and is rapidly evolving. So what used to be simple to try to understand if this is acceptable for Pesach or not has changed in the last decade, the last two decades. And by looking at the list of ingredients, you might not be able to understand what's inside of that product to know if it's a problem or not. That's where the Orthodox Union steps in, and we really try to simplify it by providing clear and concise guidelines as to what is or is not acceptable for Pesach. Again, it really depends upon your posik, upon your rav, the way you have the psakaloch, what you're told to do. Right. Some poskim hold that it is meritorious to go ahead and to really change everything over for Pesach, not to leave anything unopened there. Others hold it's not a problem. Uh, our poskim have told us that, generally speaking, if something is not fit for canine consumption, in a chilas kelev, then it would not require kosher passive certification, such as a hand cream, um, different types of detergents and shampoos. Right. There is a machlokis with regards to actual dish soap, because some people hold that since it's used on your dishes, it would require it to be kosher to Pesach. Others would hold it again. It's not fit for consumption. It wouldn't be a problem. What about the last paper towel on a roll because of the glue? So it's really not a question of the glue. It's a question of the starch that's on it. We did, a, we did some research into it and found that the starch itself... At worst would be kidneyos, which if you hold that's a problem, kidneyos itself is not something that has to be destroyed. Some mm-hmm. people just came to minig not to eat it. Okay. Again, those that come from a more Hasidic background will probably take issue with what I'm saying right now <laughs> because their view is really everything must go. But the Svartim are happy, so it's okay. The Svartim are happy, <laughs> um, and they are a growing community, Har, from a community that had literally nothing at the end of World War II to mm-hmm. now they've really grown into a glorious state of Torah today, both in the United States right. and it's all around the world with how many yeshivas. But even without them, for an Ashkenazi person, we've done the research and found that really the paper towels, the paper goods do not pose any problems for pay. Wow. The same thing with uh, cosmetics and the like. The only situation we caution people is with regards to things that actually go into the mouth, such as lipsticks or mouthwashes and toothpaste, and that we suggest, again, consulting with your personal rough. Right, and a lot of this information can also be found in the Passover Guide? It's either available in our Passover Guide, which is available for download on OUPassover.org. Oh, great. As well as our Frequently Asked Questions, which includes a complete list of all these products, is also available on OUPassover.org. Again, that's OUPassover.org. And just click, click on, excuse me, click on Passover FAQs, Passover Facts, and most of this information is there, including our medication guidelines, baby formulas, nutritionals, and the things and the like, excuse me, that we have researched on behalf of the community. Ah uh-huh. 
Listening to the Jewish Reaction presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. 
Uh, we're discussing Pesach here with Rabbi Aleph, who is one of the rabbinic coordinators for the OU. So uh, I feel every year Pesach comes around, and whether it's pre-Pesach or it's during the Sedarim or some point on Cholmoid, I always hear someone, sometimes it's posted on Facebook, they ask this question, what's the difference between Kitniot and Gebrux? And I know it's a very easy answer, but... I guess, yeah, you know, it's a year away from the previous Pesach. Sometimes people forget. So if you could just give us the quick breakdown of, you know, we just briefly earlier described, uh, we were talking about Kitniot in terms of the Hasidish and the Sephardim communities, but just to break down the difference between Kitniot and Gebrux. So just quickly, I believe this may have actually been addressed in one of the previous sessions on the show with Ellie. Okay. Um, generally speaking, Kitniot and Gebrux are about what the product is derived from. Kitniot are something that comes from legumes, different types of beans, rice, substances that seem similar in their milled form to wheat and flour and other types of forbidden grains on Pesach. I'm going to stay away from quinoa this year, okay? <laughs> well, we actually certify, we actually have an OU, OUP, OU Pass for a certified production of, of quinoa this year. Ah. Um, again, we recommend only those with the OUP symbol because of the fact that it is produced at a farm and a factory in South America that has a tremendous amount of hummus and kidney oat that are packaged there. So therefore, we are recommending actually Parag, Goldbaum, and Seton Farms all have OUP for Pesach, and they are found to be free of any type of chametz in the packaging. My mother is listening, and she's taking notes. She she buys quinoa 24-7, all year round she's buying quinoa. So that's actually good to hear, because I find that no one's ever heard of quinoa until it comes to Pesach, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, it's a Pesach, but we have matzah and we have quinoa. Well, the, the gluten-free community, I think, is very familiar with it, Um I don't think it's a total replacement, but uh, you know it's, it's definitely delicious, and there are a lot of recipes out there. And there, are, I believe, I remember last year there were some recipes. I believe um, either it was in one of the Jewish actions, it might have been in the 2014 Passover guide. Um, there might be in this year as well. But there are also a lot of uh, great recipes out there to be found. Um, Just to you know finish up with where it's the question. So quinoa are those things that are derived from the beans and legumes, rice and and such. Versus gibrachs, which is really something that is actually made. There are none of those ingredients inside. It is just derived from matzah, matzah meal, which the Hasidus and Minhag uh, developed over the years, that anything that comes from matzah cannot, again, be mixed together, mished, as they call it, with water. Mm-hmm. And that's usually a dividing line between those that come from a more Litisha background, a Lithuanian background, versus those that come from a more Hasidic background, in terms of what they do or don't on Pesach. You know, it's really amazing how far um, you know we've come in terms of uh, approaching Pesach. You know, even just looking over the um, this new 2015 uh, Pesach Passover guide uh, put out by the OU, um, from recipes to preparation to even just the food. I went shopping on uh, a few days ago, Arab Shabbos, and um, I was at the freezer section um, at the uh, supermarket in my community. And I didn't even realize that the uh, the food I was looking at was already, you know, prepped and ready uh, for Pesach. And, like, you know, there were boxes of pizza there. Looking at these things, I would have thought that, you know, it, w- it was chametz. It was regular year-round food. And the reality is that even um, not just in, you know, the way that it looks, but um, even the taste of the food. You know, I, I remember growing up listening to my, my grandparents telling the stories of how, you know, they barely had anything to eat uh, besides matzah and, uh, and the macaroons, um, uh, you know, many years ago. And today, you know, the world has really come so far in terms of what, you know, one can eat on Pesach. You know, Baruch Hashem, the kosher community has grown by leaps and bounds. There's much more of a demand for products these days. 
and therefore there is much more of a market for companies to offer various things. For example, you mentioned the pizza, Dayenu pizza rolls, pierogies, are all available with an OUP kosher le Pesach, and those are all made with matzah meal. So again, it's fine for those who eat kibrachs, but for those who don't eat kibrachs, it would be a problem. As the consumer grows more uh, discriminating with their palate, companies rise to the challenge and the occasion to provide them with what they need. And Pesach now is a multi-billion dollar industry. Wow. I don't have the exact numbers. I believe uh, Menachem Lubinsky with Lubicom did some of the market research a few years ago about what the actual number is on Pesach. But it's well into the billions. And even here at the OU, at OU Kosher, we have a full department headed by Rabbi Dr. Shmuel Singer that does nothing but deal with kosher for Passover production year-round. People say, oh, it's right before Pesach, though you guys must be very busy. And my answer is yes and no. We're very busy with all the consumer inquiries and questions that come in. But in terms of actual Passover productions, for the most part, they're all completed. Some wow. of that may have been done a year ago, might be done two years ago. Wow. It may be done six months ago. But for the most part, if it's in your supermarket already, which most supermarkets turn over anywhere between 30 days before Pesach to 60 days before Pesach, it means that obviously the product was finished well in advance of that so that they can make their orders and get it shipped to them. Even matzah itself is already being baked like Hanukkah time, right? Even the handmade matzah is being baked around Hanukkah time. Oh, you said machine also or machine? Machine also. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. In fact, it's funny. Just uh, two weeks ago, um, right before Purim, so three weeks ago, whatever it was, um, we had um, one last box of matzah from last year from Pesach. And oddly enough, I think it tasted better, you know, having uh, been on the shelf for a year. I think matzah gets better over time. It's like wine. <laughs> You know, again, it's everyone's perspective. Some people prefer a fresh loaf of bread. Some people prefer it a little bit more firm. It's the same thing with mattresses. You know, I like a firm mattress. Other people like a soft mattress. So, you know, it's really your own personal preference. Um, but really, it's unbelievable what goes into the Pesach production. Uh, Rabbi Singer does, and his staff do a phenomenal job of coordinating products around the world, which even allows us for new products or products that have been around in the past that have disappeared. This year, as a matter of fact, we're happy to announce that there is Starkist tuna fish that's certified OUP, which is both wow. Tamidis and Bishri Yisrael, as opposed to the normal tuna fish during the year. It's not Bishri Yisrael from Starkist. We also were able this year to get an instant decaf coffee that's Kosher Pesach, and that is the Folgers brand instant decaffeinated coffee is unflavored, is acceptable for Pesach, which is new for this year. And for those of you out there who've asked about Dannon yogurts, uh, in the past they kind of disappeared off the shelf. They came back last year in the large size. This year we're happy to announce again that the Dannon yogurts are back in the regular six-ounce cup size. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at the guide here as we're speaking. Um, you know, on page uh, for those uh, who will have it in front of them as they're listening or can consult back to it later. You know, on page uh, 23 in the guide there is the sizing up the seder, which has the measurements for uh, breaking down the matzah for korech and mozi matzah and afikomen as well as uh, for mar. Um, you know, every year uh, um, in my in my family, there is a, I won't call it a debate, but there is a discussion regarding um, measuring out the, uh, we use uh, the, the romaine lettuce, um, and it's really the discussion of using the whole leaf versus using the stalks and you know, from what I'm seeing here, that if one is using stalks, it would take up it's, – it's a, it's a smaller amount probably because the stalks are thicker, I'm guessing. Correct. It's, ah. it's a, it's a, the share of kezayas and kebeah, which you're looking at for 
your matzah, for your korech, for the afikoman, for the mar, is a volume-based shear, a volume-based size. And therefore, obviously, the more volume something has, mm-hmm. the less space on your paper it's going to take up. Wow. So that's a great guide. Page 23 in the Passover guide uh, for those who need it. We always have a few at our Seder every single year. Um, also, just throughout the uh, the guide, there are so many helpful tips and ideas and suggestions um, from recipes to measurements to whatever it might be. This is amazing. What, what you guys put together is really incredible. The Pesach directory is really a year-long effort. After this Pesach is over, we're going to sit down with our Pesach team, the editorial committee, review what went right during the Pesach season, review what went wrong, review the data of how many calls we had and how many emails we got. Last year, as a matter of fact, we talked about call volume. And I'll get back to the director in a second. We had one day before Pesach, I believe it was a Tuesday before Pesach, we answered over 700 calls wow. in the course of business hours, which was just between 9 and 5. Wow. So you can imagine that's with two to three people answering the hotlines. We're dealing with one call per minute or even more. But basically, we will sit down after Pesach with the Pesach team, review what went right, review what went wrong, and again, begin editing it um, in advance. Rabbi Nachum Rabinowitz is the editor-in-chief of the Pesach directory. He does a phenomenal job with it. And probably around Sukkot time is when the editorial team gets, you know, cranking again. Mayor Mm Fertig and his communications department, headed by Carrie Bayless, who really spearheads the Passover directory project, do a phenomenal job design, editing, and the like. And also both our staff here, rabbinical staff here at OU Kosher, writing the articles, editing the articles, and even looking over the products that are there. I would point out, though, that the directory is not the be-all and end-all because we have numerous products that did not make it to the directory. The directory had to be edited and printed several months ago right. to make it to people's houses and tables in time for the Pesach season. Therefore, their best bet for getting the most up-to-date product directory is either by visiting our website at OUPassover.org, and right there when the screen loads, you'll find a product search engine for Passover, or downloading our app, the OU Kosher app, available both in uh, Google Play as well as on the iTunes. And over there you can download, again, the OU Kosher app, and there's a product search engine there that has a, both options for year-round or for Passover, and that will give you a direct feed from our databases of the latest in Kosher certified for Passover products. Yeah. 
Listening to the Jewish Reaction presented by the Orthodox Union on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Naftali Herman filling in for Ellie Hagler. We're sitting here with Rabbi Elif discussing Pesach, which is just a week and a half away. Um, a few more questions for you here. Um, one, I have, I have to share a story with you. And uh, last year, I had the privilege of having um, one of your colleagues, Rabbi Gerstein, um, on. And um, I shared with him this story, which is one of my favorites, was that, and I, I don't want to name the community, but... Um, there was a community a bunch of years ago where, like most communities nowadays, where the chametz is sold through the rabbi, and the rabbi was coordinating the efforts, and it was a very, very large uh, Jewish community here in New York. And um, they sold it to one of the uh, local non-Jews in the in the area. Um, turns out, over Chol Moed, this non-Jewish uh, individual, um, his daughter got engaged. His daughter gets engaged. He goes to the rabbi's house. He says, Rabbi making a uh, improv engagement party. I know, uh, you know, some of the Jews in your synagogue, they probably have some good uh, schnapps. They have some good stuff at home. Love to take advantage of it. And so the uh, the rabbi went with him to one of the individual homes, and they knock on the door, and this man opens, and the rabbi explains. He said, you know, we want to get some of your chametz. And the man looks at the rabbi. He goes, but rabbi, like, it's not real, right? It's not a real sale. And the rabbi goes, it absolutely is. It 100% is. So, um, And I think they got the schnapps. Uh, so I'm sure on the back end, you know, they had to replace whatever was taken cause through the sale. But uh, um, for those who think it doesn't ever happen, it happened. Uh, so um, I always uh, love to share that story each and every year uh, when it's Pesach time. Um, I want to sh- ask you one other question regarding uh, burning the lulavim. Um, I remember as, as a kid, uh, you know, we used to always store our lulavim in our garage um, with the hope of them burning it on Pesach. But every year, Erev Pesach, 
somehow we always forgot about our Lulavim. So uh, there would be like seven, eight years of Lulavim um, collecting dust in our garage. And, um, you know, eventually, finally, you know, there would be a year when we would remember to burn them. Um, is there any it's, – it's a minhag, but do you have a sense of where it came from? Um, is it a way of combining the two Yom Tovim together? Can you share some thoughts about that? Um, I'm really not qualified to speak on this subject. I think Rabbi Gerson is either was on the air with the show last week or, or next oh, week. He'd be the perfect person to ask about that. Basically speaking, once something's used for a mitzvah, you're not allowed to throw it out. The same thing with the wicks from the candles on Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. The halach actually over there is the ones required to burn it. It's the same thing with regards to the lulav, that halach is once the lulav is used for mitzvah, we can't just throw it out. So therefore the minig has become that we wait until Pesach time and use it in the beer chametz, which is a different mitzvah, and therefore we are getting rid of one mitzvah through the course of a different mitzvah. Got it. Okay, uh, anything else uh, regarding uh, Pesach you want to share? I mean, there's a lot of things that we can share about <laughs> Pesach. Um, if we get a chance over here, maybe I'll dig up some of the uh, correspondences that we've had over the years that might be interesting, you know, just to end up on a lighter note. But, uh, you know, the Orthodox Union really is here to help the community as a whole. We are here as a resource for the community. And, again, if anyone has any questions before Pesach, they can feel free to call us at 212-613-8241. Again, 212-613-8241. Also, they can email us at kosherq at ou.org. That's kosher as in the food and q as in question at ou.org. And uh, they can visit us anytime on the web at ou.org, which has about 90% of the questions that come through can be found on the website. We're here to help. And please take advantage of the service that we provide to the community. We are here open at Pesach, which I believe most other conscious organizations are not even open on that's, Pesach. That's incredible. We also have our hotlines open on Cholamoid for specific hours. Because even though there's questions that come up about Chomets and Pesach and Mount and things like that before Pesach, there are things that come about afterwards. People buy the wrong product. They, they made a mistake, which they do. I had a case one year where a lady called me up and she had used a cooking spray that had flour in it with her brisket. And wow. we had to, like, you know, determine when she had cooked it. It was a bottle. It was a cooked after this month beer. Once after this month's beer, it's not bottle anymore. Would she have to get rid of her brisket that she made for her entire family fiancé? Would she have to cash all of her kale and dishes? Things come up. People are looking to us. A lot of Rabbanim will tell people to give us a call because they're not familiar with all the ingredients or all the facts. And we are here to help in any way we can. Again, I would actually caution listeners out there that we don't necessarily have all the answers offhand. And it might take research and it might take us a while to get back to you. So don't be... Uh, dissuaded from giving us a call or contacting us with any of your questions. And one more time, the information to contact, the uh, number and website. And Again, email. our hotline number is 212-613-8241. Again, 212-613-8241. With operators standing by during normal business hours of 9 to 5. Hopefully next week we'll be open as well, 5 to 6, uh, to provide a little bit more in the evening, as well as on Sunday right before Pesach, this coming Sunday from 10 to 12, and out of Pesach from 10 Also, you can email us at kosherq at ou.org. Again, kosher as in the food and q as in question at ou.org. Rabbi Elif, thank you so much for being here, for being a part of the show. Our listeners and I have learned a lot, and I'm sure my wife will now tell me that I am more knowledgeable about Pesach preparation, so I have no excuse not to help out more. Questions, thoughts, or comments, we'd love to hear them. You can contact the show by emailing ellie at nachomsiegel.com. That's ellie at nachomsiegel.com. Thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Alex Cook, on the other side of the glass. Be sure to tune in next week when Ellie Hagler will be back in his usual spot. We'll close out the show as we do whenever I fill in for Ellie with this beautiful instrumental piece, Butterfly, by C. Landsbum and Noah Salmon on the album by that same name. 
On behalf of the Jewish Reaction, this is Naftali Herman signing off and wishing you a wonderful and blessed day. Shalom. <laughs>